In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Hey everybody, welcome to Village Church. We are so glad you're here. It is Christmas Eve. We are super jacked. Whether you're watching this on our online campus or at any of our physical locations, we love you. We're so glad you're here. If you are new, oftentimes, even if you don't normally come to church, sometimes we come at Christmas Eve to celebrate this amazing thing. We're so glad that you're part of this thing. What we've been talking about is this series, The Magic of Christmas. And if you look at kind of the, the main stories that we tell, uh, there, there's massive uh, desire for a kind of magic right, in our world. Like, like that the natural world wouldn't be all there is. Think of all the Marvel movies, right? Um, Thor is a story about a god coming to Earth, Superman, all these, will the gods ever come and save us? Because we can't save ourselves. That's kind of the underlying theme to all these super popular myths and stories we've told since we're drawing on walls. And as one writer has said, uh, actually, it would be a stumbling block if those parallels weren't there when, it, when people compare them to the reality of Christmas, the reality of the story of God becoming a human being and, and, and being perfect for us and having power that we don't have and doing something for us we can never do for ourselves. And so the magic of Christmas, that story, and we land here, we've done three uh, messages on three Sundays that all talked about these different characters in the Christmas story and now we land here Christmas Eve, the day Jesus is born. So we're so glad that you're actually uh, part of this. And at some point, uh, if you are watching this, if you're here uh, at one of our locations, along the way, in the midst of this season, you went, you know, Christmas might just be about something deeper, something more than this, just the stuff we kind of, you know, run into on the day-to-day -day basis. Like all the kinds of things, 
that we do with Christmas, the kind of crazy, wacky things that we do at Christmas, like watching Candace Cameron Hallmark movies over and over and over again, eating weird things that we don't eat the rest of the year, right? Listening to Paul McCartney music, like the, like the most annoying, okay, I'm just gonna tell you my opinion of the most annoying, most annoying Christmas song ever written is the Paul McCartney Christmas song, right? Like, it's simply, having a wonderful Christmas time. Like it sounds like chipmunks singing the most annoying, like so, so, and even for kids, it's even crazier because it creates, like kids go bonkers at Christmas, right kids? Like you're watching this in, in our locations, you're what, you're excited, you lose your minds, you can't even think straight, it's Christmas. So that's what kind of tends to happen this time of year. And so, but you're here which means at some point you went, man, there's something more to Christmas than the traditions. There's something more than just the family, just the food, just the music, just the nostalgia. There's something else. There's something on a deeper level, a soul level that needs to be dealt with to even have the conversation. And maybe some of you haven't believed in that yet. We're glad you're here, but at least you're here because you're kind of wanting to chase that question down. And that's really what this is all about. That's why we're here. There's a soul thing. This angel shows up in this story right, appears to shepherds in a field. This is the classic story, Luke chapter two. And, 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 the, and the angels say to these shepherds, God is coming to earth. So, so you might be here and you might have never been to church before and you got invited by a friend or a family member, whatever, and, and you're going, man, what actually happens as we begin to feel a little bit like we're not worthy of coming to church sometimes. We're not worthy of talking about God. And that might be some of you. You're here and you're like, I don't know what I, you don't know what I've done with my life. You don't know what I did last night. These are nice looking, you know, church Christian people around and you don't know the things that I've done. I don't even belong here. Listen, the shepherds, the shepherds were the worst kinds of people. This is what you got to understand. The only way that you got a job as a shepherd in that culture is if you were probably an ex-con, like the lowest rung of society, right? So they, like you and me, they'd made mistakes. They were sinful, just like you and I. So feel welcome here. And yet, God comes to them and he shows up and he invites them to come and believe in him. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion is gonna tell you that you need to clean your life up first before you come to church before God will invite you, before God will love you, before God will save you, before God will come and make anything of your life, you have to clean your life up and impress him. And once you do that, and once you obey him, then God will say, okay, great, now I love you. The Christmas story undercuts all of that and says, no, 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 God came to shepherds and invited them to believe when they were all still shepherds, when they were a mess. Like you, like me, they were mistake-ridden, they were sinful. See, every form of religion says you have to earn it. And there's a crushing weight that comes with that. I have to impress God. I gotta do these things. It's very interesting that our culture continues to function in a way where it actually gravitates toward religion. If you listen to the radio, you watch TV, you look at social media, we have this whole concept, even if it's not formal religion, that we need to earn love. Right? And we can lose love and respect so quickly. One mistake in the court of opinion and you get canceled. And yet these guys are out in the fields watching sheep by night. They can't get another job. The fact that they were even on the night watch means that they were the worst of the worst of the worst. They were the night shepherds. 
dirty, smelly, crooks, ex-cons, and God goes, no one else wants you. I'll take you. I'll save you. I'll use you. You, you ever heard that line? God writes straight with crooked lines. That's this. That's me. That's you. First time I ever came to church, I was 19 years old and I was confused and imperfect in every way. And now I'm sitting here preaching to you. I got a disorder called obsessive compulsive disorder and Tourette's syndrome where I do these weird habits and make these weird sounds. And like, I am the most imperfect, non-normal person you'll ever meet. And yet God saved me. He came to me. He uses me in whatever way, big or small, whatever. And he can use you too. It's in amazing ways. Every day is a new day to turn it all around, guys. That's what Christmas says. Grace means undeserved favor. And the gospel is filled with grace versus religion, which is filled with weight and oppressive ideas about earning. Grace is undeserved unearned favor and it confronted me as a as a 17 18 year old kid and then god invited me one a poet uh puts it this way grace makes beauty out of ugly things that's what the christmas story is and when we let god do that it changes the world thomas aquinas said the splendor of a soul in grace is so seductive that it surpasses the beauty of all created things. The splendor of a soul in grace is seductive to the world because there's something beautiful about it. And when we see the beauty, we chase it to God. That's grace, undeserving. That's what Christmas is. You know, there's this uh, guy named uh, Fiorello LaGuardia. You know LaGuardia Airport in New York City? It's named after this guy. He was the mayor of New York during the Great Depression. And so it was January 1935, and he was a great guy. He used to run orphanages and get on the radio and read to kids. And he walked in to this night court one time that was going on in New York. And this woman had was on trial for stealing uh, bread, and she owed like you know $10 or something. And she didn't have it, and she had all these kids. And she's like, so he gets up, and he's, he's now the guy deciding, the mayor of New York. So this was kind of a different time. And he's deciding her fate. And the courtroom's filled with all these people, these criminals who are getting all these charges. And... She owes us 10 bucks and she doesn't have it. She's like, sir, I'm really sorry. I got like three or four kids. I can't pay this. I was just, it was really difficult times. I took the bread so my kids could eat. And the guy who she stole from says, too bad. She's got to pay it. She's got to go to jail if she doesn't pay it. So LaGuardia, the mayor, says, well, justice has to be served, so I'm going to do it. And so he pulls out 10 bucks of his own pocket and he puts it in the thing. He goes, okay, now that's paid for. Now I'm going to charge everyone that's standing in the courtroom 50 cents and you gotta give it to her, and I'm charging you because you live in a city where things are so bad, a woman of five kids has to steal bread and you guys are putting her on trial and making her pay for it. Every single person in this court, give 50 cents to this woman. And she walked out of the courtroom with $47.50 given to her because he's like, this is what, see, this is the moment of grace. This is the magic. This is the answer that God gives to our situation. He solves it driven not because we deserved it, but by his grace. Frederick Buchner, who's a theologian said, for what we need to know, of course, is not just that God exists, right? Some of you here right now, you're like, I don't even know if God exists, but that's not the only thing you need to know. Christmas has this magic where it's something else. He says, we don't only need to know that God exists, not just to be on the steely brightness of the stars. There's a cosmic intelligence of some kind that keeps the whole show going, but, 
that there is a God right here in the thick of our day-to-day -day lives who may not be writing messages about himself in the stars, but in one way or another is trying to get messages through our blindness as we move around down here, knee-deep in the muck and misery and marvel of the world. That is the miracle we're all really after, and that also, I think, is the miracle that we really get. That's what Buechner says, and that's Christmas. God comes out from behind the curtain. That's the miracle we get, is he goes, I care, I've cared the whole time. I know you're in the muck, the mire, the fear, the difficulty, the doubt, the suffering, but here I am. And so all the suffering in your life, it certainly, it, it can't mean that God doesn't exist and it can't mean that God doesn't love you because we see him show up in history. So beyond that, the reality was, um, listen, I grew up in a home. I didn't really know anything about Christmas. I, I mean, I didn't, know uh, any, like what the point of the story was. And yet, listen to me, there were things I did know about Christmas, of course. I knew that it was about God becoming a human being. I knew it was about that in the person of Jesus, God became a human. So, so, so many of you, no matter where you're sitting, no matter how many times you've been to church or, or how much you've thought about this, you can say, yeah, yeah I, I know like, I don't live in the jungle. I know that Christianity is about God becoming a human being. Even if you were never told that. I mean, I grew up in an elementary school. I grew up in public school. You know, I, and I could like, praise God, I could still read. I grew up in public school, right? It was amazing. We would do these plays. And every year we would, we'd have these plays and I'd be a shepherd or something. And I go, man, my parents would come and watch it. Or I'd be an angel or I'd be a Christmas tree or a rock or whatever. But there was, even in that context, I knew the Christmas story was generally about God becoming human in the person of Jesus. I knew the reason for the season. Most of you probably aren't sitting here right now being blown away by that idea. And if that's why you came to church today, to be reminded of that, that's amazing. But here's a deeper level and a deeper question that we don't always know. Or even if you're watching this online and you're like, I came to be reminded of the fact that Christmas is about God becoming awesome. But listen, the deeper question is, even if you know that Christmas is about God becoming a human being, the deeper question is why? Why would God actually come into the middle of the story? The story of Christmas, of course, calls Jesus a very important title, right? When the angel calls Jesus in Luke chapter two, he calls him the title savior. And here's what that means that you can't save yourself and you need saving. See, this is where things get scandalous. This is where for us, we're like, oh, I don't know if I like this message because when we grow up, it's a kind of context that says, if you need saving, you can save yourself, right? That, that's what psychology tells us. That's what our teachers tell us, right? You can save yourself. You don't need saving. Here's why, you know, you go to Indigo Books, you go to chapters, you go to bookstores, you know what the most popular section of every bookstore in North America is, bar none, self-help. You know why? Because we know that something is wrong with us. We know that there's been a fracture. We know that we're not fully complete. And these books are saying, let me try to help you. Let me try to solve you. And the way I'm gonna solve you is you need to go inside of yourself. You need to become a better, and then there's technical answers. You need to look inside yourself. And then the gospel comes along and goes, no, no, no. This isn't about you looking inside of yourself. This is about you looking outside of yourself. This isn't about you becoming a good person. 
You can't earn it. That's why I had to come as a baby and earn it for you. I had to come and do this because there was nothing you could do to solve yourself. You're broken, you're lost, you're fractured. And Jesus goes, that's why I had to come into this world. Now, here's another question then that follows from that. How did he actually earn that, that saving? How? Well, the baby, as we've talked about in this series, doesn't stay a baby. The baby grows up and the baby lives a perfect life. The baby grows up and has this tragic death because he offends religious people. And he goes to a, the cross and the, and the scriptures say, here's what actually happened on the cross. In that moment, the Bible says he was absorbing the wrath of God and forgiving your sins because you cannot earn it. So he earned it. That's what was happening on the cross. He died for your sin, for you, instead of you, and because of you, he died. This is where the Christmas story goes, right? Herod, Remember in Matthew's version of it, he's trying to kill all the kids two years and under. It foreshadows, it casts this long shadow on the baby story. And it's a, it's a shadow that ends the cross. Jesus doesn't just remain a little baby. It moves him to a place where he earns salvation for you and dies in your place. So come back to our big theme, right? The magic of Christmas, the power behind the universe breaking through every once in a while, the true supernatural reality, the angels, the God, God virgin births. God exists, supernatural, and everything around us is pointing to his power. One of the uh, children's writers that I love is uh, C.S. Lewis. He wrote one of the most famous um, uh, stories, the uh, Christmas story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe happens around Christmas time. And, and later in life, um, he, he gave his life to Jesus. He, he was a philosopher and he, he started to understand what the cross accomplished for him. And he explains it in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan, the main character, the Jesus figure, uh, goes and he dies for other people. And here's how Lewis explains it. Aslan later resurrects and the, the table, which represents the law, gets cracked and he shows up to one of the younger characters and, and she says, how is this possible? You know, the witch killed you. And Lewis says this, the witch, she knew the deep magic. There, there is a magic still, which she did not know, however, that if a willing victim, Jesus, who had committed no treachery, was perfect, was killed in a traitor's place, then the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. That's what Lewis, that's how he captures what the cross is accomplishing. Jesus comes and absorbs it for you in your place. And at that moment, death itself starts working backwards so that we can have eternal life. This is what the Christmas story is. So, so now the question begins, all right, what do you do about it? What, what do I do about it? As we, as we sit here, as we watch this right now, what do you do with this information? What, what do you do with the idea that God came, God redeemed, God died? Not only that he came, but he did all of these, these deeper realities. Why did he come? John 3 says he didn't come to condemn the world, which is what some of you sitting here right now feel. You feel condemned, even by yourself, even by your own actions, the mistakes you've made. And Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. That's why the angel comes and says, if that happened, the universe is way more complicated and complex than we ever thought. And we have to face it and we gotta do something about it. That's the situation that we're all in right now, in this moment as we sit here. What do you do with the reality and the confrontation and the scandal? 
where do you go with it? Because at some point in my life, I had to go, man, the reality of the cross overtook me and I gave my life to Jesus. And here's what happens in this story. Here, here's where I think a bunch of people in, in this room and these rooms watching this, these services and online, here's the movement I think we have to make. In the Christmas story, we see the shepherds move from simply amazement and interest in what the angels declare to faith in what they declared. They go from like, hey, I like mangers and, and, and virgin stories and Christmas trees and food and Christmas music and skating rinks and sentimental and just feeling stuff. I'm gonna move from that to actual faith in the person that all those feelings are about. That's what it is. They're sitting around at night watching their sheep. Angels light up the sky and say, you need to go. There's a virgin, she has a baby, you gotta go see it. And then they, it, it goes dark again and the ex-cons go, what the heck was that? And then all these ex-cons show up at her door. Knock, 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 knock. So imagine, it's Christmas Eve right now. So imagine moms, you're, you're sitting at home, your first baby, you're sitting there, it's the first day, you got the baby. You're 15 years old, it's your first night, and a bunch of ex-cons show up at the door and go, God told us to come here and talk to your baby. You're not gonna be down. You're calling cops, you're freaking out, you're locking the door, but this is the story of Christmas. It's backwards, it's scandalous, it's filled with fear and doubt, and all the things we bring to this moment, even in our culture, this moment of fear and doubt and questions and wonder, that's the scandal. So the story then puts you in a position where you gotta do something about it. What are you gonna do? You've gotta do something. You, so there's this reality where you're called to repent, Christianity says, turn from your sin and to believe in Jesus. To believe not in yourself, but in what Jesus did for you. And then the Bible says you will be saved. He gives you eternal life. That's where this whole story, that's what it's about. That's what we want. If this is the first time you're at church or maybe hearing some of this, or maybe you're being confronted with that and challenged with that, we want you to pray and give your life to Jesus. And as we worship, as we respond, and then to let us know, fill out a connect card, put it in the, uh, fill a connect card online, fill out a connect card on one of our locations, and let us know, I gave my life to Jesus today, Christmas Eve. I made the same decision those shepherds had to make, that Mary had to make, that all through history, a billion people have made to follow Jesus and take the heat. Now, some of you watching this are gonna push against all of this and go, this is all nonsense, virgin births and magic. I'm skeptical. Don't you just know that we all just need to grow up? Don't you know that we're beyond all these myths and fairy tales, these, this magic? We just need to kind of grow up and, and see reality for what it is. C.S. Lewis, when he came to that point in his life, when he gave his life to Jesus, he said, you know what? I don't think our problem is actually that we need to grow up. I think growing up has actually clouded us because you know where the clarity is? The clarity is in the simplicity of life, not the complexity of it, of seeing the potential of this world, of seeing behind the veil, right? Like, like movies where the parents never get it, but the kid always does, right? It's like the theme in so many movies is like, the kids understand reality, but the parents don't. They're just walking around, hey, no, no, that, that animal can't talk or whatever. And it's like, we're always like, oh, the parents are so dumb because they grew up. That's the problem. 
This is why Jesus in the gospel says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child. Right? They don't care. They're in their own zone. They, I mean, a kid would at any point just yell out because they don't, they don't have any kind of social, they'll interrupt you at any moment. Why? Because they're just pure. They're not clouded. And Lewis said, what clouds you is your wealth. What clouds you is the material world. What clouds you is your job and your bills and your marital problems and the challenges of, of, of losing a parent or a grandparent or whatever it is. All this makes the faith that we have, the potential dullen. It gets it cloudy and we're not sure about anything anymore. And your movement needs to be back toward that mentality of the little ones. Right, think about like Christmas, the little kids holding candles and the beauty of the simplicity of that. Your heart, your mind needs to move backwards toward that. That's why when, when C.S. Lewis dedicated uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he actually dedicated it to his granddaughter, Lucy, who is one of the characters' names. And he actually says this, I love what he writes in it. He says, my dear Lucy, I wrote this story for you, but when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you're already too old for fairy tales. And by the time it's printed and bound, you'll be older still. But someday, you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. And you can then take it down from some upper shelf, dust it off, and tell me what you think of it. See, here's what he's saying. We've grown and we've lost our way and you need to come back and be the purity of faith like a child, not in this baby, right? Not, 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 but, but what he does in his 30s, when he dies for you, to trust that instead of trusting yourself. So let's end by thinking of life from the other end now, of being old, of life in reverse. And I wanna give you this picture to try to give us perspective. The novelist Irma Bombeck wrote a column one time called, If I Had My Life to Live Over Again. Here's what she says in it. I would have invited friends over to dinner, even if the carpet was stained and the sofa was faded. I would have sat on the lawn with my children and not worried about grass stains. I would never have bought anything just because it was practical or because it wouldn't show soil or was guaranteed to last a lifetime. When my child kissed me over and over again, I would never have said later, now get washed up for dinner. There would have been more I love yous, more I'm sorries, but mostly, given another shot at life, I would seize every minute, look at it and really see it, live it and never give it back. Think about that. From the perspective of someone dying, seizing every moment and never giving it back, living it to its full. This is the vision God has for all of us in this moment. That's why he broke through, so we don't spend our lives lost in the mundane. The biggest tragedy of your life is not dying early or getting a, uh, going through suffering or difficulty, it's that you waste your life on stuff that doesn't matter, that you never enter into the deeper questions that change not only what you do, but what you want to do and how to get, receive, and keep delight forevermore.
So let's let Christmas save us from sin, yes, but also let's let it save us from the unmagic of our life, the sameness, the mundane. Let's enter into the big story that God has for us, even saving us from ourselves, from life getting eaten up by life and the normal things of the everyday. God, I pray in this moment that we see this Christmas moment as you reaching through normal life to shake us awake and that we would indeed wake up to live in light of what Jesus did in his life for us. We thank you for this ultimate gift. And we pray even as we celebrate as families, uh, as Christmas Eve, wherever we are, wherever we're watching this, wherever we're gathered, that we would be focused in on this greatest gift that you gave the world driven by love to save us. And we would celebrate that and your peace would fall on us as we celebrate that great reality. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen.